The semi-finals are finally here and I'm talking to you from Gothenburg, Sweden. I'm joined by Chris O'Reilly in his apartment. Well, I'm actually joining Chris O'Reilly in his apartment, actually. But Welcome, Brian. Thank you very much. And Alex Kulesh, of course, virtually from Copenhagen. Alex? Still virtual, but a little bit closer. A little bit closer, (laughs) yeah. First of all, Brian, how does it feel to be out in the open air again? When I went to the airport yesterday, it, it felt amazing. I've never been so entertained by an empty airport. Just all these new objects and people. I was like, this is, inc- this is incredible. So uh, it was great to get out of the bubble and uh, some, just enjoy some new sights and smells. That was a, a bit of a treat. And we got at least 35 minutes of sun yesterday. So you must be absolutely glowing. Oh, I'm glowing. Filled up with vitamin D. <laughs> <laughs> Vitamin D sun, yeah? Good. So we're all set. (laughs) (laughs) So re-energized for the semi-finals on Friday. We have France against Croatia, Norway against Denmark, and this is going to be a preview of those two games. And we also have a very interesting guest coming up at the end of the podcast. We have the EHF Secretary General, Martin Hausleitner, who's going to talk to us about the referees of this championship the uh, dealing with covid and just getting this championship up and running there's been a lot of interesting talk during the championship as well and uh, some criticism from around the the handball world uh, maybe not all justified so it's good to get uh, an inside view on how it was all organized and uh, we'll have that later on but we'll focus on the handball first and where should we start? Let's start with the first game. Which is the first game? Uh, the first game is France against Croatia. I think we've started our last five to six podcasts with Croatia. And I, I would like to keep that going as well, because they are the story of this championship. They are the funnest team. They have brought an energy to this tournament that I don't think anyone quite expected. You know, with the empty arenas, with the yeah, the bubble atmosphere, Croatia have given this tournament life, and I love them for it. And that's why I'm rooting for them to get to the final. I think I'll start with an easy one, and Croatia to finish last. Uh, looking at their team and talking about what we talked about, young uh, and inexperienced teams, they have the least experienced teams in this in this competition they could surprise the world but I don't think they will I, I can't see Croatia doing, doing anything major this time around Croatia came into this championship having lost every game of the last two Euros being one of the bottom ranked sides every time Croatia have beaten Hungary it's a huge victory for them I think that's a massive surprise for everyone I mean just going on how the Croatians are acting uh, going into this tournament they're here just having a good time. They're really relaxed. And they played today with absolutely zero stress. We are beautiful and we play handball good, so it's... But seriously, how have they done it? Can either of you explain how Croatia have two wins against two of the hotly tipped teams 
going into this competition, Hungary and the Netherlands. They just are absolute fighters as well, you know, and they seem to be completely gelled as a group. And they're just not your normal bunch of of uh, international players. There's something a little bit different about them, and whatever they're doing, it's working so far. Because no no uh, audience in the in the in the arena is our like it's it's our thing. It feels like uh, we are so mature where, when we are playing. I'm not. I'm not stressed. Uh, I know uh, if I will uh, do some mistake, I know that uh, Larissa is here, she will fix that, she will help me. And that's why I think we are not stressed and that's why we have this, this good energy because we, we totally believe in, in each other. So there are a group of players there that, that know, know themselves inside out, upside down, backwards and forwards. And they're playing against these top teams who are probably, you're probably catching them at the right time. And it's just this this perfect storm of conditions for them to succeed maybe it's that or maybe we're not giving them enough credit Teja Pijevic as Alex mentioned in goal I mean showing almost disdain for the Dutch wingers it's hard in Croatia because the 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 guys from national team they did so much and because of that they they won Olympic Games World Championship European Championship and we didn't do nothing and now we are doing something. I think this is not a lot, but I think for the people in Croatia, it means something. I think this is a start of a very nice future for uh, women's handball in Croatia and that we just need to focus on that. It's a good thing. We did a good thing on this Euro and we just have to continue doing it. Croatia, Netherlands or Germany to join Norway? in the semi-finals we've said it before and I will stick to the rule we made earlier in our podcast and don't doubt Croatia I even don't know what to tell you now what to tell to myself what to tell uh, it's it's unbelievable <laughs> I don't know what is this if I'm dreaming please can someone wake me up <laughs> it's so good it's so nice feeling we are the example start from but <laughs> and now we are here <laughs> we are here and we are fighting for this huge semi-final it's all over Croatia have done it what an incredible story they have booked their place in the semi-finals of this EHF Euro in Denmark it has been a wonderful story the big question is whether the story in this fairy tale continues into the final as they face France, the reigning champions. And how we decided to look at these games today is a position by position breakdown. And so for Croatia and France, I want you, Brian, and you, Alex, to give us a combined seven, looking at each of the positions and seeing where the team's strengths are and which team has the better player or players in that position. So when I thought about doing this, I presumed my team was going to be full of French players. But actually, when I sat down to put it together, there were a lot more Croatians in here than I first expected. Mm-hmm. So should we start with goalkeeper, Alex? Yeah, why not? I think Tia Pijevic is, uh, you can't look past her. 37%. She's been a revelation of the tournament. By Leno has been very good. It's been standard for Leno, hasn't it? But I think it would be difficult for me to leave uh, Tia Pijevic out of this 
combined seven? What do you think? When we're looking at this combined team, we have to focus at here and now. Because if we're talking about players as a whole, it's it's going to be this this French team. But if we focus on exactly what's been done at this tournament, it has to be Tejpiovic. Um Even though Leno has been incredible herself, she has had a few game-winning performances in this tournament. But it seems like <laughs> Croatia have a style that is focused on... Pijevic's style of goalkeeping. They allow those wing shots and they know that Pijevic is going to be there. And Pijevic has saved the most wing shots in this competition at 24 so far. She has to be the combined goalkeeper for this one. I think even her style of goalkeeping kind of summarizes the Croatian team in a way. You know, a little bit unorthodox, a little bit unusual, but really spectacular at the same time. I think the uh, focusing on the form of this championship is... I think the best way to go about it, but just like a a little caveat to that is the the strength and depth that France have in this position. Mm. And we don't know exactly who's going to be in as the second goalkeeper. We assume it's going to be Lenaut, but it could be uh, Laura Glauzer being brought in, who has in the past shown that she's well capable of winning these semifinals and finals. And uh, Cleopatra Dallo also in very good form at the moment. So while Croatia need Pijevic to be the one in form, France have a few options there and, and they can they can rotate until they find that goalkeeper in form. But it was very interesting what you said about the wing shots, Alex, because I think the wing positions for me when looking at your two combined sevens here is what fascinates me most because I feel both sides are quite focused on what happens down the middle of the court. I f- fully agree. Um, I, I f- find it quite hard to... Um, compare the wingers for both teams in this tournament i i kind of revert to not performances in this tournament but more of the you know i've gone with sarabida dembele pavlovich as the left wing and i think primarily because she is the incumbent in this um i don't think the croatian left wingers have done an, uh, enough for me to displace uh, dembele who's an experienced player if I'm trying to win a tournament, I, w- I would put my money on her delivering a, a performance. Both sets of wings from both sides are definitely not their strong points, as Chris said. Um, they're very backcourt and line player uh, heavy styles of attack. But I think the the French backcourt has an incredible amount of options, which we'll get to a little bit later. But I, I agree with you for the left wing. We'll go with Dembele for left wing. What then about right wing? What do you think? I, I don't have right wing here for, uh, so I have right, I've <laughs> Mamic down on the right wing here for Croatia. She made her debut at this tournament. She scored 10 goals, decent, you know, and I think it's been a, a very good performance for someone who's made their debut at the tournament. Do you have a counter argument to that? I actually did have her as well. And she, the interesting thing is she's listed as a right back. And I think for her club, she plays for a right back as a right back and just perform perform very well on that right wing and it's particularly her scoring percentage that stands out because she doesn't get that many chances but from the right wing she has scored eight out of ten 
and you know this is excluding fast breaks etc just from the right wing she scored 8 out of 10 and she's 10 from 13 in the whole competition which is you know you you can't expect more than that from a a wing player so i'd agree i'd go with mamich on the right wing particularly in that germany game where there was i think it was part of germany's defensive tactics to leave the wings open and because there's so much going on in the center and left back for croatian attack there were a few of those uh, lobbed passes out to the right wing to josipa mamich Mm. where she had plenty of space and and scored a three out of four so she took her chances and you know I think uh, there could be a few more opportunities like that in the semi-final. Right, so Dembele Pavlovic on left wing and then Mamic on the right wing. What then maybe about the line player? Who did you go for on the line? That's a closer one, but I was really impressed by Croatia's line players in that last game against Germany. And it was it was really impressive because they were pressured. So Germany gave that space and basically said we will step out on the back players and try to win with your wing and line players. And what Croatia did was win with their wings and line players. So their line players, uh, Debelic and Katrina Jezic, combined for nine goals out of 10 shots. And particularly, I, I just love Debelic for her defending because she just has this beaming smile all the time and actually i find it uh, it's a really funny juxtaposition that croatia have in defense where they have debelic and uh, michievic with these big beaming smiles in defense just smashing people and then pievic in goals with a stone face so it must be a, a real uh, mind melt for the opposition attackers and on the French side, they have kind of younger line players. So Foppa has been the player who has probably gotten the most time and she's done well, but um, I don't think she's stood out for me. So I would have Debelic in there. Yeah, I have Debelic down as well. I think she's really grown into the tournament quite well. Five against Norway, then six against Germany, I think, uh, and 17 overall. So I think for me, she's been... Someone whose form has just kept on increasing every game. Probably because, as you said, teams have started to put more emphasis on stopping these backcourt players of Croatia, therefore giving her more space. Um, but regardless, she's taken the opportunity and and uh, performed well. Um, so that's that's wow. like big confidence for the team going into the next the next game into the semi final when you have players who maybe started a little bit slower and now are finding form. So it becomes a little bit trickier for teams to just try and shut down Croatia's left-back position, for example, when you have a dangerous line player like that who now is full of confidence also. And then Jezic to back up if she's not playing well. You know, I mean, you don't want to mess with her. So, so far, looking pretty good for Croatia. (laughs) (laughs) 3-1 in both of your books. Uh, Does the backcourt change all this? Yeah, I think it does for me anyway. Yeah, I went right back. I went for Lacrovere. Difficult to put put anyone else in that position. I think she's been standard Lacrovere. Very impressive, strong. A lot of goals. I don't know. Who did you have for right back, Alex? I, I had Lacabert as well. But even just, uh, I, I look at it as a full backcourt. And I can't, you know, there's probably one Croatian player that breaks into, if we're looking at, at an overall top five backcourt players across both teams, I think only Mijevic breaks 
into that because the the backcourt for France is just stacked. They have Lacabert, who is I I would say definitely the best right back between the two. I, I agree with that, especially because kind of Croatia have really struggled with that position. They've played Kaulas there in a lot of games, you know, playing as a right-handed right back. They've brought in Milosavljevic to try solve that right back issue, but again, they haven't really made progress on that side. While for France, even excluding their starting backcourt, so their backups like Kuyate, No Candy, and Kanor have been very good, and I would put them ahead of almost any Croatian back player not named Micevic. Uh, the options they have, France, are just uh, the the depth in, in the backcourt there is just absolutely incredible. Um, for centre back, then I think Enzamenko difficult to look past her. She can obviously play pretty much anywhere in the backcourt, but I put her here uh, in the centre back just because I thought it was the fairest way because I do have then a Croatia player coming in at left back. But uh, did you go for who did you go for a centre back? I, I was actually thinking, you know, even though Zadi has been has played probably the most for France as centre back, I still think, uh, yeah. You can't leave Enzaminko out because she has been probably France's best player. So I, I put her centre back as well. And you said that you have a Croatian pair at left back. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> I have Misevic in at left back, and then I have Kalaus also at left back. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do here to fix this problem. Okay. So I put Misevic in as a defensive specialist. So she's still in the team. And then I put Larissa Kalaus then at left back. I think. Misevich's defensive effort puts her in, or gets her in the team. She's missed a wild amount of shots, but scored a huge amount of important goals and made really, really important inter- interceptions for Croatia. So when she's performed best, they've been really, really big moments for Croatia. I think you remember the, the interception she made against Romania right at the end, I think was, uh, was hugely important. So I put her her in as defensive specialist and then I put Larissa Kraus who's been more reliable in in terms of scoring percentage in attack. I do slightly disagree with your analysis of Kalaus because I think she has actually regressed a little bit as the tournament has gone on. I think especially in the first in the preliminary round games she stood out and I, I would have agreed with your analysis at that stage but in the main round she has struggled um she just hasn't been able to find the space that she was finding early on so i wouldn't put her i I would say that there are a few french players above her and the ones i mentioned previously on that backcourt but i would still have um as the left back in attack and defense okay Interesting. Right. That means yeah. overall it looks like we're giving, on a position-by-position position basis, Croatia the edge here. Of course, in a game like this, is decided in a lot more than one-on-one battles. Does this translate to how you think the game is going to pan out? No, not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where it kind of almost stops for Croatia, yeah. in a sense. I think the depth that France have in the backcourt, and we've seen them rotate that in after like 15 minutes to bring a whole new backcourt in or maybe just swap out left and right back and the quality doesn't really change 
whereas you start swapping out players in the backcourt for Croatia, it does uh, start to change the quality. So mm. um, I think Croatia might... I look, I, I feel like I can't be doubting them again, but... <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Did you not just listen to the audio bed? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, maybe doubt them one more time just for the, just for the sake of it. Because maybe that's their good luck. You know, I keep doubting them and they keep doing well. <laughs> what do you say, Alex? It's, it is a very tough one. Um, I think I had France going through to, uh, yeah, to get the silver medal before the tournament. And they won that big game against Denmark to put them in this semi-final slash final, as I had predicted. Um, but again, doubting Croatia is very difficult. I think it all comes down to that classic third quarter French push. And if Croatia can uh, stem the tide for that third quarter, they can win. But I, France have shown it again and again that they have an extra gear so that's why I, I do have them taking this semi-final mm. I think psychologically yeah. as well there's a big there's a big uh, milestone that you cross when you reach the semi-final and you could feel there's this almost release off the players after that uh, last game for Croatia and it's like oh we did it you know and I think psychologically there's something there to be said that you make it to the semi-finals and I don't know maybe you just lose a li- little bit of that or you, l- you let the adrenaline drop a little bit and Look, we'll see. I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I do think that France will do it. All right, should we move on then to Let's move Nor- on. Norway, Denmark? And I'll think you two lads should take this. The two Scandi boys take <laughs> uh, take care of this one. So we'll start maybe with goalkeeper. With you, Chris, maybe I think uh, fairly straightforward this one. Yeah, at the beginning of the championship, I wouldn't have said it as straightforward, uh, but I from the beginning thought that these were the two best goalkeeper pairs at the championship. However, Sandra Toff's performance for me has stood out over the entire championship. And I think if she can replicate that and she looks like she is capable of it, she has done it at the big stages in the past. She's been doing it over and over again at this championship, has the best saving percentage of the whole championship so far. I reckon Sandra Toft is the, the outstanding player here and has to be in this combined seven in goal. The Danish fanboy hardly disagrees with that, does he? <laughs> I, I can't disagree, but I do want to mention how well Katrine Lund has done since she's come in. She, she has the third highest save percentage in the competition, but Toft has been special. She has three uh, player of the match performances. She saved an absolute rocket with her face and then came back and played an incredible game. Uh, against Russia so I don't think she can be moved and um, she would I, I would argue she's been potentially the best overall player in the tournament yeah. to date and it shows how important goalkeepers have been at this championship that you have the French pairing led by Amadine Lenaud you have Tia Pijevic who's been a revelation and then you have these two goalkeeper pairs with uh, Toft and Reinhardt Lunda and Solberg all in the semi-final mm. and uh, I think yeah, they're going to have a big part to play this weekend. Okay, easy. So, Toft in a uh, goalkeeper position. Then what about left wing? Who, mm. did you, who did you take Alex in left wing? Kind of across the board, it, it has just been me arguing against a Norway player. So, like, the, the, for every position, you're like, oh, okay, it's got to be this Norwegian player. And then trying to find, find arguments why a Danish player is better. But for this one, even though... Um, 
Ulerka Pedersen has been pretty great in this tournament for Denmark, Camilla Herum has just been outstanding. And especially on the fast break, she has just destroyed teams. She always seems to be the first one in the opposition half receiving a pass from the goalkeeper any way possible and puts it in. So I can't find an argument against her. Yeah, she's so good. It's almost like she becomes part of the furniture and uh, her stats almost become almost forgettable. They're so good. It reminds me a little bit of Sigurdsson also for the men that she was just so, uh, she's so good on the fast break like Sigurdsson was as well. Scores such an, an amazing amount of goals that you'd almost kind of take it for granted. Mm. And I think she has that element to her a little bit as well. And vitally, she's great on the wing and defense as well. Yeah. As a great uh, interceptor, which uh, could be an issue for uh, particularly in the Denmark game with the, the backcourt that Denmark have. And also their second choice left wing, Sanna Solberg is a great defender and a decent winger in her own right. So yeah, difficult to look past Camilla Harum as the left wing here. All right, 1-1. One, one. So move to <laughs> the... Let's go to right wing then. So, who did you have for right wing then, Chris? Well, it's, it's funny that we're like the wings in this game is so much more important than the wings in the other game. Yeah. You know, we're struggling to find the names for the wings uh, in Croatia, France, whereas they're so important in Denmark and Norway. I think it says a lot about the styles of play as well. Um, we did in the middle of this championship when you asked me what the weakest position is for Norway. Uh, we str- like struggled, but we said right wing, and it's still a decent position for them. But similar to Camilla Herum, Trina Ostergaard is so reliable for Denmark. Give her the ball, and quite literally nine times out of ten, she will score the goal. She's very good in the fast break as well. She's a very experienced fighter, and I think she is the standout player for me in that position. I I I, w- I would agree with that. This is one where. I could find the argument for the Danish player because Trina Ostergaard has been a star. Uh, looking at her pure wing shots, it's been 15 out of 20, which is, again, a very, very good percentage for the wing in particular, excluding fast breaks and breakthroughs, etc. I, I would pip her. And I think the Norwegian players have split their time on the right wing a bit more. Uh, Trina has been the solid right wing for Denmark. I think she's a very good example also of when you talk about someone being very good on a fast break when you're in the early days of handball. You think someone who's good at the fast break, but they're just good at running really fast and getting up there really quickly. But you see what Ostergaard is doing a lot of the times is that the way she weaves in and out of players and knows the perfect time to turn direction and change and makes an absolute fool of the defenders running back. And I think we saw that a really good example of that in the Montenegro game when she was just, she made them look like second rate players running back. She really made a fool of them. That was that's a really good example of what a, f- a good fast break, fast break player looks like. Yeah. All right, uh, let's then move to line player, maybe. Okay, the line for me is uh, you can't look past. It's a mixture of current form and also the the aura of Heidi Loka and Carrie Bratzett Dalla. The combination of those two. Luka, the still the present and also the past and just that, you know, this machine-like quality. We've spoke about her over the years. And Carrie Bratzadala, who is a top in-form player, uh, only seems to be getting better. I think they're a great combination. And although Katrina Heindel has been very good for Denmark and is very important at both ends of the court for them, I think quality-wise, Norway have this one for me. And, and who, well... 
obviously then you're going with Bratzit as the vampire. Oh, yeah. You can't. Yeah, can't with, do their, a duo. with their with the yeah, it's hard to it's hard to leave Loka out, but yeah, I think Bratzit has been the first choice in this championship and is the yeah, the informed player for them. Yeah, I I think Loka has taken a step back in this championship. She's I think she's taken more of a supporting coaching role. Um she hasn't even really been sent in. Okay, Norway haven't had that much crunch time where you would send in Heidi Loka to get you that goal. Um, but she hasn't been sent in at crucial times of the game to change things, which she's capable of, but she hasn't really showed it in this competition. She hasn't had to. She um, may well be used there yeah, wouldn't this su- weekend. Wouldn't surprise you to see that, or would yeah. you? I mean, that'd be just classic Heidi Loka that she's just thrown in for the last 15 minutes in a really important game and all of a, sco- all of a sudden she scores five goals mm. in the last few minutes. That wouldn't su- We've seen that hundreds of times before, so that wouldn't surprise me one bit. All right, so you're both going then with Carrie Bratzett? I think so. I, I don't think the Danish team has played too well with the line players. I think they only have seven goals between um, Everson and Heindel, or eight goals between them in the competition. Even though... Heindel is very good in defense, but so is Bratzett. I, I, I would go, I would lean towards Bratzett. Yeah, 19 goals ain't bad. All right, then let's move to left back. We'll start with Chris then. Henny Rice, that is my left back. And I would have thought it would 100% be Veronica Christiansen coming into this championship. But uh, although she has been fairly solid and I think she's a big game player and will be brought in for the semi final. Henny Rice that has been uh, has taken she's not a revelation because we all knew what she was capable of mm. but uh, she has proven that at this championship and she has taken international wise a huge step here and while Denmark have a lot of options in the backcourt and they've had good games during it I think the consistency of Rice that puts her in that position for me for Norway this has been their weakest position in the backcourt that's not saying a lot because all of them have been amazing and I I think when looking at these teams I thought that position was there for the taking for Denmark because uh, if we're looking at some of the top players that Denmark were focusing on coming into competition Anna Meta Hansen, Christina Jorgensen there they are those left backs but I don't think either of them have performed outstandingly they, they've done very well but that they haven't i don't think they've had an outstanding game in the competition they've kind of middled out both of them um with three four goals in every game i, I want to be a bit cheeky and uh put in mia rai as as the left back i know oh. she's a, a a center back but maybe you can put stina Oftedal at left back and near eye at center back you know I, I want this dynamic interchangeable backcourt i'm a modern handball expert you know so <laughs> I, I, I want to go using with... that clip <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm a modern handball visionary so i, I... <laughs> is that is that, is is that, that more humble is that legal <laughs> <laughs> no no that that is that is more humble because an expert means you've already figured it out and you're good a visionary can be shit it just has a vision i just need a vision so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my vision is i would put uh, actually stina after at left back 
and Mirai at centre back. Interchangeable left and centre backs. That <laughs> <Wow>. is visionary. <laughs> so I, you, we need a final decision now. I think you need to flesh this out a little. Well, bit. I'll just go to centre back here though first because I put Mirai in centre back ahead of Cena. Oh, yeah. So, so you think Henny Rystad has been better than Cena Ofidal in this at, competition? At so far, yes. If you're going to talk about clout, like those influencers do on uh, Instagram, her clout has grown mm. a massive amount uh, in this tournament. So I think that's a, that's a fair choice, you know, putting Mia Riot centre-back. So now you look like your visionaries kind of get out the window a bit, huh? Cena Ofidal has the most assists in this competition. She's averaging five a game. She is literally destroying teams so if if i was told whether you know if i was asked whether i want to sign for my club steen Offadal or henry reistad and only had this competition to look at i would go with steen Offadal. so mean, i i would uh, you mean me or i no no i mean steen Offadal at left back <laughs> and me oh, okay. at center back oh, or okay interchangeable okay. yeah so i'm I'm leaving out Henny Rystad, but I'm interchanging Mia Ryan and Steven Oftel between centre and left-back. All right, so right-back Nora Mork. That's Nora good, Mork. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Leave it there. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we'll see you. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's the straightforward one for me. Nora Mork. Alex, you don't have any hot takes here. Please don't. I'll, I'll, I'll walk right at the door right now if you well, have some. Nora Mark's just scoring penalties. Like, is she even that good? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. She's been she's been fantastic. She she's earned about half of the penalties that she's taken. If if you're just looking at pure stats, so um, of course. Nora Let Mark. me ask you this then about Nora Mark. Is this some of the best performance you've seen from her in a Norway jersey so far? I don't think it quite matches her peak um when they did win all of those golds in a row across the olympics world championships european championships and when she was the best player in the world i don't think it quite matches that but it is much closer to that than i expected this weekend will prove a lot here that norway haven't been tested yet Mm -hmm. incredibly so this will be a defining weekend for that if they're pushed hard by denmark and come through it pushed hard by Croatia in the final and come through it, then <laughs> then uh, it could go um, up among the uh, the greatest performances. What are we looking at here? So I've got one, two, three. I've got three Danish players there, four Norwegian players. Fairly close again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I have the same. But again, if we're looking at the... Actually, I'd say it's definitely closer in depth. Um, if you're looking at depth, because the Danish squad does have depth. And I think, what what about if you're going to pick a defense, pure defense, would you go for Denmark or Norway? Denmark at the moment, based on how this championship has gone. I, I would also agree with that, because I think the defense has been the reason why they've gotten this far. It's the reason why they beat Russia in a really tough game to get to the semi-final it's it's been on fire and they've been able to activate their fast break as the competition goes on and Denmark are looking very very good and you know I wouldn't put it past them beating Norway what oh my god I don't know I think I think it's going to be close for about 40 40 minutes 
and then, and then I think you'll see about a four goal win. It's my my hot hot, hot yeah. prediction. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> if you had to make a just to dis- on the on the on the fast break thing to dispel a myth we kind of formulated over the last week or so, Norway have the fewest turnovers of the whole championship 47 in six games so maybe they don't throw the ball away as much as we thought they did uh maybe there's a couple of games where they did but overall the fewest turnovers uh, by quite a quite a distance i reckon the fear will not be there for denmark also because they played them three times over the last few months and twice just before the championship and they've gotten closer each time so there's definitely not that aura that Norway hold over other teams. And I reckon, yeah, they could. They definitely have the potential to spring a surprise. I'm going to say Norway are going to win. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't shock me to see Denmark take it to extra time even. Yeah, I don't know. I just think Norway have this championship element in them. Mm-hmm. And in those last 10 minutes, you've seen it so many times, it can be close. And all of a sudden, then likes of Camilla Herum or Heidi Loka just pop up and it's just they can really put it away in those last few minutes and I don't really see well, they haven't they haven't that. done it in four years though and that's true yeah. so they have to turn this championship form on for the first time in but a they, while yeah but they do look a lot better than I they do in yeah. the last few years yeah okay uh, so that's uh, two semi-finals previewed now on to the big one the fifth sixth place playoff <laughs> <laughs> No, we're not doing that, are we? (laughs) So before we move on to our interview with Martin Hausliner, I do want to uh, go into a bit of detail on a topic that we spoke with him about, and that is the criticism of the refs in this tournament. And we've seen quite a lot of criticism really focused around the decision of the EHF to select all female referees for this competition. This has particularly come from the Danish and the Swedish media um, after that Denmark-Sweden game where they really criticized the performance of the refs. And there's one particular article by Danish journalist Bent Nugor, which I do take umbrage with. (laughs) And he, uh, it was following the Denmark-Sweden game, and he really laid into the referees and particularly the the decision of selecting only female referees in this competition, stating that um, kind of primarily that the best female players in the world deserve the best referees in the world, no matter if they're male or female or whatever. And I just, I don't, I think that's a, it's a very narrow view on it. And there's a quote by uh, Chimana Ngozi Adichie, um, which states, if you criticize X in women, but do not criticize X in men, then you do not have a problem with X, you have a problem with women. And I think that rings true from that article in particular. I've no issue with people criticizing refs. Any competition I've ever watched, any tournament that I've ever followed, there has been criticism of refs. But on the men's side, it's usually very focused. It's, you know, this referee was shit. That's fine. Call a referee shit. You know, if the referee has a different view on the international rules versus your local country rules, that criticism can be made. But in this case, the focus was on the inexperience of the female referees that have been brought into this competition. And I, I haven't heard that criticism on the men's side. It's not talked about inexperience. No one mentions that, 
oh, there are some slightly less experienced refs in this competition. We should get the most experienced women's referees to replace them to have the highest standard of referees in this whole competition. And um, I think that is the main issue I see with Bent's article where um, the, it's it just it has the wrong take. It, it focuses on the women's aspect and it talks about, you know, these players uh, or these referees are inexperienced. But if they're not given this opportunity to referee at the highest level, they're never going to get that experience. You know, so there's always going to be a mix of the most experienced and less experienced. And at the end of the day, every one of these refs has met a minimum standard to ref at this level. And if you just have more and more men's referees and on this side, you just limit the experience, the potential experience of the that these referees are going to get. Um, so I, I, I want to state that I do like Bent Newgore. I respect his journalism, but he's just missed the mark for me on this issue. And that's what we will touch on with Martin, but also focus a little bit on the organization of this tournament and how it came to be. Thanks a lot for taking the, the time to chat with us. Now we're almost done with this championship. We're most of the way through now, well into the final week. But just how confident were you this time last month that we were actually going to have a Euro? Not at all. Um, it was the target and um, it was a, a burden to have it because it was key for European handball to organize the championship. But um, we could not be sure that it can be organized as we uh, feel uh, that the Norwegian Federation struggled in their negotiations with the government. On the other hand, we had uh, the situation in Denmark with the mink farms uh, where really big threats uh, were uh, here, uh, which gave us not this uh, safe environment that we could believe that the euro could be organized. It was a, a big uh, release uh, when, this, uh, when the message uh, finally arrived that the prime minister in Denmark gave us the permission um, to organize it. And it was just a few days before you got the green light, there was these kind of talks that took place, these crisis talks. Can you give us any more details about what kind of stuff was being discussed during these talks? First phase of discussion was, of course, um, after the withdrawal of the Norwegian playing uh, venue, Trondheim, uh, how we can basically organize and transfer um, the group uh, to, to Denmark. Um, preparations have been done already together with the situation uh, um, in Frederikshaven. So we considered to, together with the Danish Federation already then, if we choose just one um, venue Herning, compensating the uh, Frederikshaven. But it was also uh, discussed if we should choose a second place Kolding. And, and Kolding basically has been contacted already uh, then. So there were um, basic agreements had been found already. So this was the, the, the positive part when that we could quickly transfer our um, organizational framework to holding. But of course, um, it was unbelievable demanding to set up a Euro, Euro playing venue within 10 days then. 
we had discussions with the broadcasters, uh, the broadcasting crew. Uh, we, of course, we had to create the new setup for the for the venue with all the venue dressing. Uh, all these things normally take a year. In, a, in the preparation phase, had to be done within ten days. And the setup that was finalized was this bubble setup, and it seems to have been quite effective. But you must have been pretty worried when on the first couple of days there were some positive tests and you must have been thinking okay all this work to get this championship going is now going in the bin you are completely uh, right uh, we we were worrying uh, but of course this was also a process and we worked with the teams um, already um, the weeks before uh, because the concept is uh, not only reflecting the situation uh, here at the Euro, but we gave the uh, national federations uh, a concept for their preparation phase already. So they were obliged to, to start their tests two weeks before. And this turned out that this was uh, key because um, uh, some players were filtered uh, already in, in this phase and the teams basically arrived here in a healthy condition. And in the preparation phase, Uh, phase many teams had positive cases uh, logically as this disease is here in Europe and players have family at home and have their environment and um, to to get them into the bubble healthy uh, it was necessary to take these two weeks time prior to the championship when the teams arrived uh, here we um, were prepared that we will have positive cases as first of all the teams reported that they are struggling and are not sure uh, also taking in consideration this incubation time so uh, we were looking very very carefully to uh, to these teams who gave us the information prior to the uh, championship and their, their arrival that there could be something so also the cooperation with the with the teams was excellent and only this gave us the opportunity to bring all players healthy to to the pitch and to the first uh, competitions here and it seems once everyone got into the bubble there were no more positive cases it seemed overall like it worked perfectly well the bubble system the red zone system seemed to be very strict and worked very well. Brian has a better knowledge of it than most of us of the, the red zone and how how strict it was. But there were some, I guess, minor infringements early on uh, and five warnings were given to federations. A bit of discussion there in the media in particular, some people not so happy with it, but it seems like all the teams behaved themselves properly after that. Yes, when teams arrived, of course, everything was new. And uh, the interpretation of the bubble system by various people was different. Let's let's say it like that. But the zero tolerance policy, uh, in the end, uh, turned out to be the only possible one. Um, if you allow any infringements of the of the concept, then the bubble is not safe any longer. And is it only a small violation? Uh, it could harm the the whole bubble and. Um, to uh, create this awareness, it was necessary to bring people back to the right place. We, of course, uh, at the beginning, uh, it was new for everybody and we have to reset some of the people uh, to our concept. But after really the first two days, um, I think it became clear for everybody uh, what we are doing here, that our responsibility is unbelievable. Uh, 
towards um, the uh, to, to the product to the euro, but also towards to the concept and the responsibility of the Danish Federation towards their government, where they promised that they will stick to 100% uh, to this concept. I think probably the most public case of that was probably Ambrose Martin, uh, when he shortly went into the stands. He then was given a warning and tested afterwards. I think some people had criticism that why wasn't he put into isolation immediately? Was there a reason behind that or what was the thinking there? Yes, this was uh, still in the face um, that uh, we tried to correct. And after this uh, case, uh, we also announced the zero tolerance policy. He did not leave the bubble. It was also a setup question, uh, and we had to uh, recreate the setup because the red soon and the orange soon were not divided then correctly or uh, visible. And we corrected the setup as uh, as well. Basically, we gave people. And this was not only Ambrosch and uh, this uh, secretary general of the Russian Federation who could get too close to each other, uh, the opportunity to, to do this uh, without uh, having violated uh, basically the concept because it was both were in the, re- in the correct area, but uh, the areas were not separated and they could touch each other. So the other day we corrected the setup and made the distance uh, bigger, created the distance bigger, so this, that this was not possible uh, from then on. And this was also the reason why uh, we could not exclude anybody because it was also a, a question of the setup uh, which enabled uh, this contact. Sure. But overall, I think it, it has been a, a great success. And hopefully the little bit of transfer. Is, is there anything special that you kind of enforce in the transfer period as teams are moving to Herning now? You, you can't imagine which effort uh, um, is done that they are not leaving the bubble. <laughs> um, so the, the players are taken into their bus and transferred directly to the door of the next bubble hotel. And some of the federations uh, brought their own cars or came with their own cars uh, to deliver additional equipment and so on. And even these cars uh, must not be used. The OC is providing uh, additional drivers so that they are going with these cars to the next hotel park and there so that all the people do not leave um, the bubble. So there is no opportunity for, for the people to leave uh, the bubble or to violate uh, the concept. And be sure uh, we are taking special care that we will do not the mistake uh, at the very end um, of the tournament. Also, the bubble is, for example, is not uh, sold for those teams who are not any longer in the tournament. So, uh, for example, peop- uh, the teams leaving the tournament after yesterday's game are uh, brought directly to the airport and only then they are out of the bubble. Also, this was taken care of, that uh, there is no uh, possibility that somebody goes in and out of the bubble who is possibly not any longer in the tournament. So we are very, very strict. And, uh, yeah, teams are following um, this concept they are also aware that they would not endanger their success, which is basically given at the final weekend already through a violation um, of the, the concept, as well as they are taking care, bringing in new players. So they, of course, this is also a threat. If they have to exchange players or people, they stick completely to the pre-testing phase as well as to the testing phase and quarantine when they arrive here in Denmark. So that through new players, no danger will raise. 
Yeah, I think that was an interesting case with uh, Dejana Milosavljevic coming in for Croatia. I heard she was, again, a couple of days in Denmark before she could even join the team and start training. So if there's any teams planning any surprise additions, uh, you might have a look out in Denmark in some random hotels where people are in isolation. <laughs> so there'll be no big surprises uh, player-wise. Completely correct. Um, this Croatian player, in addition, had already suffered corona already. Mm. So, uh, but special care is taken by all the teams now. Let's, uh, let's talk about the referees uh, a little bit, because plenty of discussion over the, the last couple of weeks and before the championship. Maybe you can give us a bit of context and, and take us to the decision process and deciding, first of all, to have an all-female panel of referees for this Europe. Yeah, this decision uh, was, was taken earlier already as we are running um, special women referee uh, projects. And we decided that it's time to, to nominate them. Not uh, the factor Corona was, of course, not influencing uh, this um, decision. And, and luckily, we lost two couples due to Corona cases. Uh, so they could uh, not join. And we had to re-nominate uh, two couples from Lithuania and from, uh, from Poland. And um, yeah, this, uh, this gave the, the squad of the referees. Um, what we uh, what we see is, or what we have to have to uh, accept is that also these couples uh, suffered from Corona, as they had not the number of games um, prior to this tournament in their national championships or even in the European Cup uh, games, as many many games uh, have been cancelled, and they are suffering from less practice. So uh, of course. Uh, we are aware that we have to work uh, with uh, these couples and we see that uh, the performance is getting better and better as they are now um, gaining more experience and uh, having the line in, in, in our environment, having the professional environment here. They, they are reaching the level uh, we are uh, expecting um, for the final weekend and uh, we fully believe in, in this project. And you mentioned there some... Um referee projects that you have for women's handball can you give a bit of insight for that because one of the comments has been of course that it's good to develop new referees but is the championship the right place for that i uh, i would like to answer your second question first um the referee couples here um are not developed um what what we possibly have to accept is that they have a lack of practice uh during this year and uh, coming back now to the field, maybe you uh, you see that. But basically, they have proved already their um, level um, of, uh, their, of of the necessary performance uh, already earlier, as one of the couples had uh, been involved already in the men's Euro on, um, in in January this year. A lot of these couples are whistling their men's leagues. Uh, they are in the European Cup competitions, have proved their um, their level of, of performance. So uh, these couples nominated for the Euro have already uh, showed that they are capable to lead games uh, of this level. What we are doing about the development is that every federation basically can nominate four um, couples um, of referees for the international competitions. And in addition, there could be always a women's 
women's couple. And if a nation wants to have um, a women's couple in the young referee project, for example, it's always appreciated and accepted uh, to, to bring them in. In the basic career of a, of a referee, the international referee is first uh, involved in a younger age uh, tournament. So European Open the referees are 16 to maximum 24 years old. Um, then they are going to a yak competition, uh, women, men, 18 uh, or 20, where they gain more experience than uh, in European Cup games. And out of this pool, then they are further developed for, uh, for the Euros. So they have whistled uh, until they come to a Euro for sure, uh, uh, 50 to 100 games. So uh, there are no new couples who are developed at the Euro. So this is, this is the, the career picture of, a, of an international referee. This is the same for, for men and, and women. And of course, we follow them and guide them during the year. So we also know how they are doing in the national federation. If they are going, uh, for example, if women's couple are going also for men's competitions, uh, or they're doing just a women's competition, and uh, and consequently, we are also using them for the international. Um, a common counter argument that goes around on social media and different platforms would be that you have the best players playing at the the European Championship, best female players playing at it. And when you limit the referees to uh, just women referees, you might not have the best in class at that moment, depending on the year. What would your response to be to that, to that common counter argument? I do not have the feeling that um, these are not the best referees. From a certain level onwards, um, the referees deliver a, a reliable uh, and good performance. And there is not a best referee in, in our thinking. Um, and people somehow, some people expect or uh, assume that this couple is the best referee or others assume that this couple is the best referee. Often there is a very personal impression behind um, that or a very personal experience uh, combined with a big victory or, or something else. This is not our job. We pull the referees, and if a referee reach uh, a level for the for the highest uh, pool, and then then we are very confident that they can whistle the most important and intensive um, handball games uh, we have in our competitions. And these referees here uh, prove that already. As you said, it's it's very personalized and very much based on on things that happen in the games, and we've seen that over the years with every handball competition. And I think regardless of whether it's men or women refereeing, there's always going to be criticism coming. That's nothing new, uh, particularly in the media and among fans. Do you think that uh, this women-only referee project will continue for the next Women's EHF Euro? Um, we will uh, evaluate uh, after the Euro. We will sit together uh, with all the persons involved. And there are several persons involved, uh, those who educated these referees, those who decided that there are only women couples and we will make our plan we also have to see uh, what is in our programs are there coming more uh, women's referees how the men's are developing on the same uh, level and um, the next women's euro is um, still one with 16 teams also this will have an influence 
So um, there is no can, can give no forecast for that. More from a, a personal side of things, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of our chat, it's been great to have a championship like this for us all to kind of gather around and focus our attention on some handball again. You must be very proud that you're managing to get this championship happening and also with the EHF Final Four happening just after Christmas, it's a, it's a great sign of the, the work that is being done. Yeah, we are we are taking this topic very carefully because on on the one hand we see of course the situation people are struggling with. Um, on the other hand, uh, we also have the feeling that we uh, have to do our job um, and to uh, give the opportunity to all the professional handball players to do their job. So it's the same like all other people would like to to keep their job. And this we see as um, in, in the same. Um, in the same situation. Additionally, um, we live, basically, our business lives from the attendance of fans. And we see that we, in these very difficult times, we should distract people from their daily life, which is possible, not the, the best one. Um, and they should get also some distraction from, uh, from, their, from their daily life following again their heroes or see exciting um, sport games. And this, uh, we assume, is also our, our task in, in this time. But of course, we are very, very carefully that, that we are not part of any infection process and chain, um, that we are taking all the opportunities uh, we have to save uh, the, health, the healthy environment for all people involved, players, referees, and also the working staff. I'll take your last answer is that you're very happy personally then. <laughs> that was great. Thank you so much, Martin. It was a pleasure to talk and uh, enjoy the final weekend. Yeah, bye-bye yeah. to you. Thank you to Martin Hausleiner. Thank you to Alex and Brian. And thank you all for listening. Friday is the big day in the Women's EHF Euro. Hope you enjoy the semi-finals and we'll be back with a review of that and a preview of the final on Saturday. Goodbye. <laughs>